You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. My dear friend Rob is Hi, here. Hi, Michael. Hollis. Who do we have today? Uh, we have a guy that I love, a co-creator of The Office. Yep, he's one of my favorite comedians. Stephen Merchant, dude. This guy is amazing. We're gonna, we talk about so much great stuff on the show. He did extras also, and he did Hello Ladies on HBO, which yep. was canceled you know way too soon. And he's a, he's by the way, he's a great actor. This guy's a really good actor, and I think he's going to do a lot of serious stuff in the future, so... I'm no Nostradamus, but I'll tell you something, my brother. Nostradamus? Whatever, dog. This is going to happen. I mean, and, he's a really talented guy, and he's a really nice guy, too. And yeah, and you know, you know him from your show that was canceled. Well, his girlfriend now, she was on Impastor, and thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mercedes, I said, hey, Mercedes, anything I shouldn't talk about? He said, She's like, well, I don't talk about his height, maybe. First thing he talks about is his height. How, but I love this story about Ricky Gervais. I love how they met. I love that whole thing. Uh, he's just uh, a force to be reckoned with, man. This guy is a genius, but listen, uh, and you'll learn a lot. Yeah, he's got a movie coming out in a little bit called The Girl in the Spider's Web. I think it's The Spider Web. Mm. Well, apostrophe S, huh? Yeah. Gotta go smart on it. And it me. comes out November 9th. Oh, man. Which is really soon. Inside of You is sponsored by ADT. That's not to be confused with my ADD. Or ADHD. This is eight. Do you think I have that too? Uh, who knows? I'm not a doctor. This is ADT, and I will tell you what these guys do because they've been providing alarms security service for me for 14 years, Rob. Yeah, my brother actually worked for ADT for a little while. Really? Yeah. Did he love it? He did. He loved. He's his old security system. He likes helping people. Yep. Uh, they make it easy for you, folks. I mean, these guys. I mean, I, I. It's such an easy thing to use, and I feel protected at night. I all the windows have little alarms on at the doors. That in case you're thinking about breaking into my house, don't fucking do it. Well, you're kind of a scared guy. Yeah, I uh, watched horror movies. My mom made me watch like Motel Hell and make them die slowly when I was eight. So uh, I sleep with a bat next to my bed, two dogs, uh, alarm system, spike gates. Uh, I put booby traps. In my house, in case anybody does break in. Well, now you lock don't the doors. need to do that because you have an ADT alarm system. Well, I do that, and I use ADT. Oh, well. So now I feel really protected. But ADT, yeah, you know, anytime, you know, the alarm goes off, you know, somebody's calling me within a minute going, hey, is everything all right? Or they send someone over. ADT will set up your home with multiple smart home devices, security features like indoor, outdoor cameras, locks, lights, garage door control, even video doorbells. It's pretty incredible, and it's important that uh, you have an alarm system if you have anything uh, of value in the house. Like, like how about, your life. Like, like your life. Thank mm-hmm. you, Rob. Or, or your kid's life. Yeah, you have a, you have a child. Yep. You have ADT? Uh, I will after visiting ADT.com slash smart to learn about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. ADT.com slash smart? Yep, that's it. All right. Stephen Merchant, have a listen. It's my point of view. Listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Do you have a lot of theater training? No, I did a play a couple of years ago and um, didn't get on with it. Turns out you have to say the same thing every night. See, that's my problem with, I think, everything. Right. If you get a series, you realize after the pilot, you have to continue with the sure. series and the role. Do the same thing. Don't you say after five, ten episodes, you ever get like, oh my God, I'm still playing this guy? I don't think I've ever been in a show that's lasted that long. That's so. not true. Out of choice, sometimes. Really? Well, in the UK, you don't um, do long runs of things on the whole. Or if you do, you only, you only do sort of, you know, six episodes at a time or something. Is there a reason for that? Economics. 
we don't have anything like syndication in the UK. So, you know, you have the kind of money, so therefore you can have teams of writers. So therefore, how can you generate, you know, 10, 20 So episodes? you just don't make a lot of money. It's, you it's, don't make a lot of money and you don't make a lot of episodes. Yeah, except, say, long-running soap operas. Yeah, I walked outside this morning and uh, I see this water and power truck. Mm-hmm. And then behind them is another one. And you are lodged somewhere in between. Yes. Coming up the hill. But you had a very a nice smile on your face, like, here I am. Well, I was pleased because you'd come out of your house to greet me that you could see why I was late. You Were you see, late? I was late by 10 minutes, and I don't like being late, but I, I realized you had seen what <laughs> I had happened. My head it was the at... perfect excuse. Oh, my gosh. And there was this guy on top of it, this behind the truck, right? There was a guy just like right. bobbing up and down on the back like a, like he was on a go-kart or and something. And it was moving know. it maybe two miles an hour. Yeah. My grandmother used to refer to the merchant luck. And over the years, I've realized the merchant luck, and she used to mean that in a negative way, that we had bad luck, my family. But actually, I think we do, but it's very minor bad luck. It's things like that. You're on your way to an an appointment, you get stuck behind really slow water power, tree cutting equipment or something. You know what I mean? It's quite specific. So you have some bad luck, but it's not real bad luck. Exactly. It's just minor. It's like you're spraying your ankle on a run. That's it. Exactly. It's the merchant Exactly. Luck. It's like you were generally lose healthy. Your leg. We generally have been lucky in our lives. You know, we're not, we're not, we've, we've, we've got a fairly easy run, but just minor frustrations. Stephen Merchant, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. Please, I welcome you in. Do you know, <laughs> that was a good reply. That's the, <laughs> that's the first uh, I welcome you in we've had, right, Rob? <laughs> He's not a microphone. Doesn't matter. Um, how do we meet? Do you remember? We met, as I recall, uh, via an agent i think it was via an agent well now i can't remember were we do you remember the we... agent's name were, I, i'm no longer with him yeah richard whites are you with him i am you are still with yeah. richard whites i think yeah. you were directly with him yeah and uh i was tangentially yes i there was another agent there which left the agency i left which you know but he took us out did we go to a game i think we went to some kind of sporting event was it a, was it a dodger game yes is that baseball that's baseball uh, yes i believe that was what how we long did. have you lived in los angeles i'm a big baseball fan as you can tell you are um and so we went there and then on the way back do you remember he um he pulled in and and took us to universal studios like we were sort of the children of a divorced parent <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, true it's like kramer versus kramer yeah yeah and we uh we didn't have tickets so our super agent yeah went up and said i, I said what are you gonna do well he's going to the box office he's gonna talk to the manager and say i'm with two guys who are celebrities right but really no one really knew us that they well. didn't know but, but do you remember a lot of his angle was that we we worked for nbc or Is at least that what I did, he said? yeah. He was saying, "Was your show on NBC?" Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Well, he was talking about how I was involved with The Office, and that was on NBC, right. Universal, and but it worked. That was, and it, somehow he. But what you realize is, if you have the chutzpah of an agent to go up to a twenty-one-year-old kid working the gate at Universal Studios and just, you know, and just just talk at them with yeah. great authority. They let you in. I remember you were, you know, when I met you, you were very, you have such a calmness about it. You're incredibly funny. It's like I sort of just keep saying things hoping they're funny. You're throwing shit at the wall saying what sticks. I, I, exactly. And you sort of, I'm not to say you're more calculating, but you choose not to say as much. And when you say something, it's usually funny. It's precision engineering. I, I'll tell you what it is. It's sometimes nerves. I think that when I first meet people, I often, um, I have a fear of coming over as uh you know, as overbearing or I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think I've learned over the years to be more socially adept, but I don't think it comes naturally. To I me. think it's a defense mechanism for me. I feel like I've always felt like, uh, 
I'm the guy that just uh, you, you can't you don't accept this guy, but then you realize oh he's kind of funny, right, right, and right. It's right. like okay, look, look, oh this guy's he's, he's he's got good energy, he's fun, yes. Instead of just like I feel fear if I'm quiet, if I just don't do too much, I'll just be overlooked and ignored. Yes, maybe that, that maybe that's I don't healthy. mind that. Maybe I don't mind that being ignored. Possibly. Do you know what it is? Sometimes I wonder. I think when you're very tall from a young age, you draw attention whether you want it or not. And a lot of actors like attention and go into performing for attention. Weirdly, ah. I got attention just by virtue of being tall. And I think perhaps performing was a way of controlling that attention, deciding right. when people laugh at you, deciding when people look at you uh, yeah. a little bit more, or at least being in control. So you always that. had people looking at you. You always felt like you were different, like you were odd, yes. you, you were standing out. You didn't want to stand out. Right. Because when you're a teenager, I think that you either want to blend in and fit in or you want to mark yourself out from the crowd for attention. And I think right. I probably wanted to fit in and was forced to stand out from, by virtue of being six foot seven. Well, I was six foot seven. Yeah, I was the opposite. I was the smallest kid in my high school. Oh, so wow. I stood out in the other way. Yeah. You know, if you and I went to high school together, maybe yeah. that would have been a really great TV show. <laughs> you know, I think I would just, I, that would have been finally someone I could bully. Jesus, yeah. Stephen. In this environment, yeah. that's where you want to go. You would you'd be like, finally, well, <laughs> you could pick on the smallest kid. I did get. Did you get, did you get picked on? Did you feel Not like really. since you were tall that they were like, oh, tall guy, huh? Come on, tough guy, let's do this. No, I never got that. In fact, my a lot of the, the bullies in my school were so dumb they never even clocked on to the idea that they could pick on me for being tall. It was like they'd choose other things. Hey, guy with glasses. It's like okay, but a lot of people have glasses. So right. I'm the six foot seven guy. Go for beam pole. Come on, come on, guys. Did you, you play work sports? Were you athletic? No. You didn't no. want to play sports. I just wasn't very adept at it. People would obviously say, and they still do, do you play basketball? I mean, because if I was that tall, I'd, I'd play basketball. Yeah, basketball's not as big a thing in the UK. Yeah, that's true. Did you play soccer? Poorly. Don't they call it football? That's right. Um, because we use our feet to kick the ball rather than pick it up and run with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, that makes, that sort <laughs> of makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. yeah, I think it does. Uh, you can see I'm a big sports fan. Yeah, that, that's okay. Yeah, you didn't know that we went to see the Dodgers, the baseball team. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Did you? Were you as a child? Did you feel like you were more the guy that goes upstairs and reads a book? Yes. Were, is that because your parents were like that? Did they have good like uh, sort of? Uh, I mean, were they always reading? Were they always like educating? They, they you? weren't. They weren't. Um, Be smart. They weren't overly educated people themselves. They were working class people who'd who, but they but they were smart and are smart. And there was always books in the house. And actually, bizarrely, my mother used to buy and sell books kind of secondhand. So there's always books around. And I think she encouraged, both of them encouraged that. And I think I just, I don't think they had to push me to do it. I think I was just drawn to it for whatever reason. Do you feel like maybe it was an escape? I certainly was a big comic book fan when I was younger. Really? You know, a lot, all, the, all the trappings of the classic nerd was me. What were your favorite comics? Batman and Superman. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, I played Lex Luthor. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. Um, the problem with your Smallville show was that he wasn't Superman yet. So, like, why so am you, I interested? You know, I want to see the cape and the Because, Stephen, because for the first time in television history, we were telling the story before the story. Absolutely. It was about how did he get evil? How did he get good? How did he become Superman? But for you... You didn't have the interest. I already knew. You I knew. already knew how it happened. You read the comics. <laughs> there you are. You want to see Superman. I want to see him. But they had Superman and Lois and Clark. They had Gene Hackman. Oh, well, no, Lois and Clark I was a big fan of. I loved that show. 
because they were already Superman. He was Superman. Pardon right? my <laughs> vernacular, but fuck you, Stephen. <laughs> Rob, did you watch uh, Smallville? No. Did you read comics? Um, uh, not really. No. Were you popular in school? Um, yeah, I guess. Okay. I don't think I was. I wasn't unpopular. It wasn't that by virtue of reading and 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 being interested in comic books, I was unpopular. I just wasn't. I was sort of. I was nowhere particularly. You know, I was not popular or unpopular. I was fine. I got you were just by. there. I was you just were just there. kind of that. That's I, I was felt a like solid I was there. presence, I, a solid presence. You know, just like I was. You know, oh, there he is. But it wasn't. No were one was funny? excited. Were you people? Did they find you yes. amusing? I was funny. I was funny. Or I, I think I used. I yes. Once I kind of found that tool, then I used that to the point where it became, I think, probably annoying. In fact, you mentioned about that idea of when we first met, not coming out all guns blazing, and I actually think probably if you'd met me as a teenager, I was a bit more exhausting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I was trying to be funny all the time in a desperate attempt to use my one asset. And I think probably at some point I realized this is tiring. Yeah, I think for me it's like sometimes if people don't laugh, if they're different, the, the energy's different, I assume, oh, they just don't like me. Right. And that's an insecurity. Right. That's something I've worked on. Like, hey, not everybody's going to react the way you want them to. Not everybody in the room is going to love your joke. Right. You're not going to sell it everywhere. I read some article where you read where you where you uh, were interviewed where they said something about, um, you know, when you're doing a project, when you're writing a project, you can't think of some guy for the Telegraph what he's going to think of what you're right. writing. You just write on instinct. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was that was sort of profound. I mean, it was, it was simple. Yeah. But it was profound because that's sort of like when you have an idea and you think something's funny, you, you write it. Right. You don't say to a million – look, if you ask some of your close friends, do you think this is funny? Sure. Do you think this is funny? Do you ask people, is this funny? Or do you go, this is funny. I'm writing it and this is going to stay. I'm not going to even ask anybody if this line is funny. Well, I think it depends on what you're writing it for. If you're writing it for stand-up, for instance – if you do stand-up, then you know you're going to be told if it's funny pretty damn quick when you get on the stage. So then you've got the perfect test because if the room doesn't go with it, and you can try that three or four nights, and if it doesn't work, it's not funny or something's a screws loose in that particular bit. Right. So that's easy. That's a kind of that's a basic you know litmus test. Insta when you, yeah, instant gratification exactly. or not. Right. When you're writing a project, sort of, and you're just you know kind of bunkered away writing, I agree it's much harder. So there, I would get people to read it. And tell me, I I would love it if someone would go through a script and just tick and you know put a check and a mark against what they thought was funny. And not, I think just a binary decision like that, just uh, instead of explaining why, exactly, just say yeah, not funny, just boom, no, ding, yeah. But then mm. there's probably this competitive spirit in you that wants to go, okay, not funny, huh? I'm going to write that again. I'm going to make that joke funny. <laughs> and you're going to keep going. Are you like that? Are you no? Like, I don't have do that. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I, I'm not going to compromise it or change it based on the whims of other people but i will listen and be guided by other by right. other opinions that i trust otherwise it's very hard to to work in a vacuum have you de dealt with a lot of failure in your life because it seems like you know, all I, I read is success stories and people assume office extras all right. these movies now you're a real actor you're right you know you've done it all you've done radio you've done and so it's like stand up that they only associate probably success, success, confidence. Right. This this guy knows what he's doing. There's no. Do you still feel insecure? Do you still feel moments of like, oh man, I don't belong? Uh, we, do you know, I, it, in just really in recent years, for the first time, I've started feeling like, oh, I'm a professional at this. Yeah, I oh I I know what I'm doing now. Maybe it's turning forty. So, something where I felt, you know, I'm I'm an adult 
you, you know, yeah, you can bring me into the room. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not always going to get it right. So there are other times when you remember being in a room going, oh, fucking, I can't, I'm so nervous. Or oh, I, feel, I don't yes. feel comfortable. I don't, these executives, they're wearing ties. I... Uh, yes, yes, I think that. I think I think assuming other people were pros. You know, if you spend enough time in Hollywood, if you work with enough people, particularly people you admire, you realize everyone's just figuring it out. Everyone's making it up as they go along. There's no, you know, when you're a kid, you look at and you look at people you admire, whether it's Steven Spielberg or whoever, and you sort of think they're just another breed of person. And then, you know, once you get to meet those people, they have, they're super talented, but they have their own doubts or their own processes or their own questions or they're assholes or they're not, or they're, you know, and so at some point, once you realize that you're like, oh, no one's the perfect person. No one's got it all figured out. No one has lacks insecurity so and that's comforting isn't it? that's very it's enormously comforting yeah i like to see not to see to see people fail but to know that other people have insecurities that they have fears that they have that no one's got it no, no one's one got knows it all it. figured out right but, and you yeah. said something what did you say you said something about um <clears throat> one of your heroes just now and when you meet your heroes at the rest i read something about that you read you saw you met one of your heroes and they weren't kind who did I name the person? Maybe that was another Stephen. David Bowie. No, no, no. He no was, I read he that you read joy. someone who you admired, and they were kind of an asshole to you. I did that a few. That happened a few times. A when few I was, times when I was much younger, before I really got into the business, when I was still at college, or or I remember one comedian in particular that I admired. That's what it was—a comedian. Yeah, and then and then I sort of met that person just as I was starting out my career, and they were kind of a dick, and I remember being quite taken aback by it. Um. And, and years later, realizing it was their insecurity that led to them being aggressive. What was it? Do you think, like, I always say when, you know, if someone tells me, you know, I grew up in Indiana, and they'll say, hey, how's so-and-so? I bet they're an asshole. Or I heard so-and-so is a dick. Right. And I'm like, well, I, I like to give the benefit of the doubt. Of course. Because everybody, look, if you you have a bad day, maybe someone's sister just died. Maybe you just got in a car wreck. Maybe and someone comes up to you, hey, and I go, no, no, I, I can't right now. And like, oh, my God, that guy's an asshole. Yeah. Now, was this particular moment with the comedian was it something different? No, it... I think subsequent. I'm not. I don't want to name the person. Yeah, you know, but, no, you don't have but to. But subsequently, name. there. You know, I think there's. I've had enough evidence from other people in the business that it wasn't a one-off situation, and that that person's yeah. known for a kind of a certain um, misanthropic or malevolent attitude. Who, who's yeah, who's the first person? Who's the one person you were excited to meet? And then realize, wow, they're better than I thought. This is such a great. This this is an amazing individual here. Um, so happy this person's kind. Well, I have to say, I I was all all the people that we had on extras were terrific. Ben Stiller and and Serene McKellen and all those people. Just you know, I think when you the thing that I was reassured by and what I was heartened by was when you meet people that you admire and you just they're just fucking professionals you know what i mean you're in a work capacity and they just deliver and they're just they're good to work with they understand they get it they know their they're lines not, they, they're they just it. they know it and they're there to work and they're there to do the thing and it's not about starriness or attitude or you know or power plays or i'm sure you've had it we've had that stuff but you know but that i remember just you know that's exciting you know working with people that that you admire and just see and learning from like I remember I worked, we did this movie with Ray Fiennes. Ooh. And Ray Fiennes, who's brilliant. But what one thing I realized was like, he's an utter pro, but what he also does, which is magnificent, is when you're shooting a scene with Ray, he gives you variations on every, in every take, but they're never so varied that they couldn't all cut together. 
So you get in the editing room and you've got all this nuance, but there's just shades of the same colour. So you've got more angry and less angry and more funny and less funny. And you can just mould them all together in a whole. And I'm just like, wow. Whereas previously as an actor, I'm just throwing everything out there. Yeah. Like, and then you get in the editing room and you're like, this doesn't make any... This, you know, I'm at a 10 there. I'm at a 5 in, in this bit. And right. this doesn't work. We have, to make it, we have to choose one. Right. Whereas Rafe just gave us such nuanced variety. And I've, ever since then, I've tried to... To learn from that. I mean, whether I've succeeded, I do don't you know, do a but... lot of? Do you try to so do, do different takes? You, yeah, you, exactly. You do. You like that. That's what I like to do. Just yeah. mix it up a little bit, right? But it's no good. I think what I learned from Rafe was you can't you can't be wayward with it. You can't be kind of um, outside the box. No, you've or... got a, it's all still got to work within you know, that within character's the, exactly, uh, perimeters, right? Exactly. So um, I don't know where we got onto that, but anyway, just learning from that, admiring people, and then and then learning from their skills, I find thrilling. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And, I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy, oh, the weeks where I miss a session, of course, yeah, yeah, it's just it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up, and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small, and at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I mean, did you think you wanted to be an actor when you're growing up in England? And you're, you, you know, you're, you're, was your mom a nurse? She was a nursery nurse working with kids. And a then, nursery nurse. Yeah, but she she was mainly at home when I was growing up. I was more interested in doing comedy. I never thought of myself as an actor, but more as a, I guess maybe as a comic actor. I thought that would be appealing. Like and that was in high school, even. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then after high school, what happened? I went to university where I studied film and literature, essentially two leisure pursuits. And while there, did more, did radio for the first time, right. did live stage work for the first time. How did that really. start? Do you remember your first time on stage? Well, I'd done a school play in high school, and that had gone well. 
and I'd been what, what I'd character? Been well what would play? It wasn't. It was written by by the teachers. Oh, yeah. and uh, in one, I played uh, a sort of comedy reverend. I was judging a dance contest. It was set in the sort of 1950s. And I remember I had to read a list every night. I'd have to, I'd have to open this envelope and announce the winner of the contest. And so I, uh, you know, I'm 14 or something when I did this. And, and so I, on the first night, I opened the envelope and I said, and the winner is two pints of milk, eggs, uh, <laughs> tampons. I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's my, that's, my, that's a grocery list, list. Yeah, there. List. Uh... And, you know, when, when, Parents have been dragged along to see a school play. If there's anything even resembling a joke, they're going to laugh oh, at anything, it, right? Because they can't anything, believe their luck. Sure. So they went wild for this. I mean, it was pretty So every night lame. you mixed it up? Every night I mixed it up. And by the third night, the teacher who'd written the play, I think probably sort of only semi-seriously, would kind of, where's Merchant? He's changed the lines again. And I felt like I was this rebel. You know, someone who'd always tried to fit in at school. Now I'm like the rock and roll kid. Did they tell you to stop it? They told me to stop it. And of course, that just encouraged me more. <laughs> you'll, <laughs> you never work you'll never work in this school again, kid. And I was just, I, that was my first taste of sort of both kind of, I guess, getting a laugh in a, what you might term a, with an audience or in a professional capacity. Did you find that people were re- responding to you at school differently? People would come up, you know, That's... Loved, loved you as the re- comedy reverend. Right? You know, like, this guy's like, funny. Okay. All right, you've seen it now. Right? You know, previously, it's just classmates, but now 40 people have seen it. And how many, what, isn't that amazing, the fuel as a, as a youngster that you get when yeah, you get that, those laughs? Of course. I mean, as a 14-year-old, that, that sort of like that acceptance, yep. he's funny, he's got something. And you probably knew... I don't know what this is right. at that time. Right. But this is this is something. There's Absolutely. something inside here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, yeah, that's a good feeling. I felt like that too when I was in high school and I did a play. I finally did something and I was such a nervous wreck. And afterwards, you know, and I was I was uh, played a funny role too. And, and I remember just the popular kid coming up and going, hey, you're pretty funny. And that yeah. was like, I was like, great. Not being me is, is, is good. But it's funny, the... Uh... It, the compliments don't need to be very big. Hey, you were pretty funny. Anything. I'll take it. You were remotely <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. You, you were in the neighborhood of amusing. Oh, I'll take that. Hey, you much. almost made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, merchant. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, did you ever do anything like that? Like that? You said, "Oh, people are accepting me. I'm good at something." You were a ball player, right? Baseball. I, I mean, I played sports a lot when I was younger, and then you know, Stephen into... hates sports. Well, I got, I got into like art and stuff in high school. Oh yeah, and kind he's of a really good photographer. He shoots oh, a lot of bands and, and stuff. Moved away away from sports. Now you're 43. I'm 46. Rob's 29. Has a kid, wife. Oh, good for you. 30. You got it figured out. He's 30. But I mean, isn't that crazy? Could you imagine having a kid like back when you were 29? I can't imagine having a kid now. Are you, do you think you'll ever have a kid? Maybe. I don't want to say never. But do you like uh, kids? I like kids. I never hung out with a lot of kids when I. By the time I got to be an adult. I've never spent a lot of time around kids. I know that sounds you know like I'm to, getting into creepy well, territory there. A but, minute ago when you met my dogs, I felt right. like you almost hadn't met dogs before. Well, I tell you... It, you it, like dogs, but you were like, oh, okay, here's your dog. I get uncomfortable around smaller things. Things that are smaller than me, you know, noticeably smaller than me, that are very low to the ground, are not helpful to me. I'm six foot seven. That's a long way down. So children, <laughs> animals, it's a long way down. Uh, you as a, you know, when you were in high school. So I... <laughs> But with kids, because I never had extended oh. family, like I didn't have loads of cousins and brothers and sisters, right. I never just spent time with, with kids. So I just never, I, they always, so by the time I was an adult and kids were something you were supposed to want or not want, they just seemed so alien to me. And right. only recently since I had, um, my sister had kids and she has, I have a niece and nephew, then it starts to make sense. Oh, I see. I, they Uncle make Stephen. Sense. Uncle Steve. Now, do you feel, like, Uncle Steve, do you, you don't like Stephen, do you? I don't mind. Either one's Does good. Does your mother call you Stephen? If she's angry at me, 
Okay. It's, it's very well, I'm not angry with you. Steven, <laughs> in here now. <laughs> so it's funny because I could see you as a dad. I think I'd be good. I think you'd be great. I think you're very patient. Yes, I am. Are you extremely patient? Well, it seems like yes. when you work with Ricky Gervais, yes. I mean, I feel like he's not patient. Right. right? Am I right about that? I think that's fair to say. Like, yes. I look yeah. at you, and I think it worked because of the juxtaposition of you two, right? Right, right. Um, did, you, did you find yourself being more patient when working with him? I did, and also... Um, I felt like that was a relationship that would constantly shift in terms of sort of who was the child and who was the adult because he has the patience of a child, which I don't think he would deny. And I'm much more kind of, you know, like you say, paternal in the sense that, all right, let's just take a second. We'll just figure it out, you know. Right. And um, But at the same time, he was always very much the adult, I think, when it came to confidence, you know, like you say, dealing with executives or dealing with the kind of the, the, the slings and arrows of, being professionals in a tough business you know he, he can do that he, he, had, he right. had the age on me and he could do that so so he constantly shifted uh, i think the sort of dynamic i feel there. like you're the kind of guy that if you lost your cool mm. if you got really upset with someone you yelled at someone yeah anybody who knows you would go that's their fault i didn't hear the conversation <laughs> right but i guarantee it's not steve's fault but, but i'd like to think that was the case <laughs> there are occasions when i have lost my temper what would make you lose your temper? I have a problem. It's normally in a professional capacity, and it's normally when someone screws up and doesn't take ownership of that. So they try to bullshit their way out of it. Blame someone or, else. Yeah, I just, that makes me... We all make mistakes, but I think taking ownership of that mistake. And I think that's, the, that's what makes me... And I think probably sometimes if I'm stressed, if I'm, already, if I'm stressed about something and then there's an incident like this... I think right. props up my temp, but I try to keep a lid on it. Well, I think it's maturity too. Well, it's also, it just doesn't help. I don't think you you help by screaming and shouting. But I occasionally, sometimes I will, or, or I'll sort of bark. At, you know, I'll bark as it were. You know, I'll sort of what's a bark? Well, you know, that kind of. Can we just do it, please? You know oh, what I mean? That yeah. kind of that kind of right. You know everybody, I mean? that's enough. That's enough. You don't need yeah. to really like the teacher. You don't need to scream. The teacher just just sort of you yeah. Know, just... I I kind of I don't get angry really. I think a lot of times people think that I'm I'm just kind of a loud person sometimes. Yeah. You know, my family was all loud, so I'll have relationships and I never really fight. But I'll be like, I, well, I don't know why. It's, why are you yelling? I'm not yelling. Right. This is this right. is my voice. Right. Earth, get over here to my dog. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm not yelling yeah. at you. I'm just talking like this. Right. Why do right. you think this is yelling? Does that sound yelling? It sounds a little yelly. See, I'm sorry. Yeah. But I can I know what you mean where you can you can just dial up a notch, but because you're naturally a louder person, it, it louder person. Did you ever scary. snap at Ricky? Oh, Did you say fuck off already? No, I think the only times would I, I it would be things he would get in a groove where he was um particularly when he was working with Martin Freeman on The Office, he would love to try and make Mar Martin break, you know, during a scene and make him laugh during right. a scene and took great delight in that to, to try and make Martin, uh, who's an utter professional, Did you, you know, like watching laugh. it? And it was fun, but the problem was sometimes, if I because I was on the other side of the camera, I'd be conscious the clock was ticking and the time was always against you as it is, in, you know, when you're shooting. And he would not listen. And he just wouldn't saying, listen. So right. it, sometimes I'd have, I'd be, have to be, Rick, please. You know what I mean? I just have to kind of be the teacher to just keep him back. Just you know. fuck off for a minute. Just, 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 just let's, you just, yeah, just let's just get back on track Wait, for a and second. And that would probably know. make him laugh. Well, of course, that would make him laugh, and that would also encourage him more, probably. <laughs> right. I mean, were you, were you a drinker at all? Have you been a drinker? Well, not to excess. I, I mean, you have a few drinks. Oh, yeah, sure. You've never been in uh, trouble with alcohol or no. anything like that. Never really any problems. You seem like you don't have many issues with that stuff. No. You never no. got into drugs. No. 
No, I like the, I like you know I don't I don't disapprove of drugs. I like the idea of drugs. <laughs> right, it seems cool. I just never. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense I think that I'm not. I don't. I'm not someone who's had to self medicate for right. whatever reason. You don't need any Xanax to fall asleep when you have a stressful day the next day. You don't need an Ambien. Not really. No, no, no. Very rarely would I use. You can fall asleep like that. Yes, I can't stay asleep necessarily. How many hours do you get? I get maybe six if I'm lucky, six or seven. That's it. I can always fall asleep. It's then I'll wake up. Uh, I almost always wake up at six thirty. It's weird. I've started taking screenshots of my of the clock because it's weird how whatever time I go to bed, it's I wake body. up at six thirty. Your body's telling you. But what's it telling me? It's telling you go back to sleep six thirty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't fucking know. I mean, yeah. I, I have a well, I have a puppy right now, Blanche. So I. I I've been waking up every because here's the thing: she's in a crate right now. At night, I have to let her cry like a baby. You're supposed to let them cry. Oh, because if you go down, they're like, "Oh, look, he's coming back." Right. So that will be the cyclical thing of going back and coddling the whatever. So uh, and I think you know I can't be more than like seven hours with the, with the kid downstairs without going and giving. I gotta go let it out. It. I, yeah. Well, I gotta go let it outside. I, you know, see the piss all over itself. Yeah. So you know, I kind of waking up early, and it's not easy. I'm, I like to sleep in. Are you some? Why did you bring up the question about alcohol? Is, is this something you've had a trouble with? No, I've never really had problems with alcohol. I think I've, I'm one of the, I'm a, more of a control freak. Okay. So I can't, you know, I could have a couple of drinks. I could, uh, you know, I, I've done some lines of cocaine in my life. But you uh, don't want to. Uh, you don't want to lose control. Yeah, and I just like also I, I, I made a joke to you before, like you know, cocaine. I get really congested. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But you know what I mean. I have allergies, so yeah, yeah. It sounds like such a Jew thing to say. I'm a Jew, by the way. Oh, you are? Yeah. Good for you. Rosenbaum. Well, I said that. I don't go to temple. I was bar mitzvah. I'm a Jew by blood, I guess. Right, right. Are you a religion by blood? Is that right? I don't know how it works. How would that even work? Yes, I don't. Are you religious? No, I'm not religious. Do you go to church? No. No. Do you believe in God? No. Are all your friends atheists? Uh, Not all of my friends, no. What kind of question is that? Are, are, all, your friend are all of your friends atheists? That's impossible. But also, it's the fact that I've got to quickly run through and think, are they all atheists? <laughs> Just <laughs> running through my phone. Uh, more, he, more I think he might, be a, he might be a God botherer. I'm not sure. More importantly, do you want to be friends with people who believe in God? You don't, you don't care about I that. don't care. You don't care about who believes in I mean, whatever. I would, I would struggle, I think, if it was someone who was so evangelized that... Like, you're going to go to hell for this. Right. Yeah, you can't be. Like, that's, 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 that's too much. Crazy. But as someone who believes in something and their family goes to church and they're happy and they're good people, who cares? And your parents weren't religious growing up? No, not really. I mean, I used to go to sort of uh, – I used to go to church with my neighbors. And then at some point I realized I was only really going to church because at the end of church, uh, while the parents were all saying hi to each other, the kids would go and we'd have a game of hide-and-seek. And I realized I was really going for the hide and seek. <laughs> I was Not sitting the through the, the, you know, sitting through the prayers to get to the hide and seek and uh, didn't realize. And at some point I realized that didn't seem like a reason to go to church because <laughs> right. I could play hide and seek. I don't know. You, you get know. more people to go to church if you start interacting, <laughs> exactly. you know, interactive. Uh, Hang around. There's going to be a hide and seek. A hide and seek. <laughs> go to church. I only like church because the donuts after when I was little. What kind of church did you go to? They said we donuts and coffee. So uh, out of high school, you're, you're, what, did, what did you tell your parents? You're like, hey, I'm going to be a comedian. You knew you're going to yep. be – I'm going to act. This is what I'm going to do. Did they look yep. at you like, fuck off? My parents were – they were more supportive. I think they thought probably it would be a bit of a phase. And I think all they ever said was make sure you you, you have a good education and you have something to fall back on, right? You know, Literature um, and – Right, and that's whatever. Why taking those. Yeah, and so um, it was actually more – I felt like more my school – school teachers that thought that that was preposterous really i never felt that they thought that that was a viable 
Why are home. you wasting your life? Why are you going that route? There's no money in it, right? That's right. what they're well, I think, say. I think it's, certainly there was an assumption where I grew up that being in movies or on TV or anything like that, that didn't happen to the likes of you. Going back to that idea thing. that you know you used to see people that were stars or the people you admired, and they seemed like they were another breed of person who lived in another universe. Yeah, okay. and the idea that you could be part of that was alien, and it wasn't. It wasn't sort of a criticism of you. It was more just. What you, that's like saying you're going to win the lottery. What are you talking about? You can't bank on that, right? Right. You you have to you know you have to do a job of work. You but can't. it's something innately you feel. It's not something you can describe to someone other than. I know you think I don't look like the the movie right. star. Like I didn't right. look like a movie star. I'm the shortest kid. You're the tallest right. kid. Right. We we're kind of funny. Right. And we're gonna go do this. And I was in a small town in Indiana. Yeah. And everybody thought the same. I'm not gonna amount to shit. If you ask anybody, will Michael Rosenbaum become? You know, will he work in in Hollywood? First, who? <laughs> right. Right. Who's right. Michael Rosenbaum? Sure. Secondly, they say, oh wait a minute, that guy. No, what? What are you talking? There was just no way that was going to happen. So I understand when my dad said, "What are you doing?" I understand when people around me were like, "You're not going to. Why are you doing this? This is like this is a one in a trillion." Right. I mean, you know, I couldn't become a doctor. I wasn't that smart. It doesn't seem that far off from like a quarterback wanting to go play in the NFL. Though, yeah, but and they don't. Yeah, but if you throw a football for four that. years in high school and you're like the best quarterback in the state, then it's like makes sense. But it's not like he does this play and he reads this uh, like about quarter milk. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's making people laugh. They're like, oh, he's going to be the next uh, Howie Mandel. Right, or, uh, right, right, right. That was the Jim, dream. Jim Carrey, yeah. Howie Mandel. <laughs> but I think it was also – what I find odd is that I thought Why'd I could I say do Howie it? Mandel? <laughs> but I just think – why did I think I could do what, You know, that's, that's what's odd. The thing. That's As I say, my parents weren't unsupportive, but neither did they have any experience of show business. So – they were sort of neutral on the matter, I think. And so why on earth I had the sort of... Because it's arrogant in a way, isn't it? To think I'm going to go on a stage and try and entertain or be amusing. I mean, it's a weird... It's a drug. That's what it is. What happened was when you said that those lines that night and that audience responded the way they did, it was a drug. It felt so good that you had to get that feeling again. You know what I mean? Isn't that part of it, you think? And that you're like, mm-hmm. I like this. I like the way I make people feel. I like, I think I'm funny. I think I could do something with this. I'm, no one's like me. Right. That's what you, I started to think, well, not a lot of people around me are like me. So maybe I'm different. Maybe that's good. Maybe. May, I'm sure that's part of it. I I was a fan of comedy in particular. You know, me and my dad would watch comedy. We watched old movies. What'd you, you watch? Know, I was into Bob Hope, old Bob Hope movies and Laurel and Hardy and all that kind of comedy. Dudley Moore. Love Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. Yeah. He's, you know. So I was a fan first. And I guess I would read a lot about those people. And I guess maybe in reading about them, I realized, well, they all had to start somewhere. you know. And maybe sort of understanding a bit about the history of those things kind of made it seem more attainable, maybe. I don't know. I yeah, just for some reason. I guess I'm sure that the desire to perform was part of it, but it wasn't just that because I also liked writing. You know, I liked the nuts and bolts of writing, which is a it's a that's not really about showing off writing. There's something else at work there. It's about creating worlds. I think, and I used to draw comic books, and you know, I think there's something about whether that's a sort of escape from something or a fantasy or maybe it's a control thing. You're creating these worlds in which anything can play out as you choose it to, right? If if real life doesn't quite play out as you'd hope, yeah. in the things you write, you can shape it and control it. I don't know. So sitting in a room writing was was something I enjoyed as well. I, I, I but how, how did you get into like the, the radio then? How did all of a sudden like... 
You know, because that's like it's a, that's yeah. a different medium. You know, you're doing comedy. Like, I guess not. I mean, I didn't think I realized that there were sort of divisions as the perhaps there are. And I think with radio, a friend at school was was. Uh, volunteering at this radio station for this little kind of kids radio project and he dragged me along one time and again I went along and I did something funny I recorded a little funny bit and they liked it and I'm again it was kind of oh great this is cool and then I kind of I liked radio because you know it, it I mean as you know with a podcast you know we show up in your house and we sit here and we talk and and we've generated something and it's much easier than anything which involves cameras or filming or which just involves way more people and, right. and it's more expensive and it's hard to edit. And I mean, I think now, I mean, the idea now of being a teenager and having a mobile phone in which you could basically shoot an entire movie and cut it on your cell phone. I mean, I'd have died for that stuff when I was a kid. You think? Oh, I would have loved it. I was always trying to get my hands on video cameras. So you like equipment. technology? I liked the idea of, of it. Being of being able to make stuff, with, yeah, you know? I think there's something special about that. There's like the back and forth feeling of like it's too much. Everybody's videotaping you. The, the lack of freedom. It's always they're on you. They're right. every move you make. Everyone's listening. Every and it's just to the point where it's it's become. I, I don't want to preach, but it's you know we're obviously lazier. We don't engage right. as much. as lack of connection. I mean that's people. No, talk I don't. About di- I don't dispute that. I just mean when I was a kid, the idea just, of uh, being uh, able to to be able to, pick to up make a, stuff, a phone right? and yeah. film a movie. Oh my film god! All this. Oh yeah, I'd have loved it. Did you used to film movies? Did you used to film little things? I did, but I just the, the the problem was just the editing was what was problematic. You know, I did. It was easy enough to shoot, but to, how do you edit? Back in the days when you were shooting on kind of VHS tapes or right. or on tape, you know, to cut that together and make it in, make it look like a movie was really hard to do. Or to I would I mean I if I found someone who was at a college where they had editing equipment, I'd beg them to try and let me in. And of course you'd maybe grab an hour here and there and you know if you ever editing something, it takes forever. Yes. So I think eventually maybe when I was at university I managed to uh finally get access to it and we shot like a little gangster movie. It was called The Mark. Can you find that on iTunes? You can't find that Can on you iTunes. find that anywhere? You can't find that anywhere. Would you like to um help us find that? You don't you don't want to see it. Is it that bad? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's a kind of it's 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 one of those sort of sub Tarantino, you know, it was when everyone right, was right, watching right. Tarantino. It was a little of, edge, funny gangstery and bad language right. and kind of kooky humor among the violence, the horrible violence. Right. Tell me about the day you met Ricky mm. the first time. Well, I wanted to get into radio because I figured that that was a good way to make a living. If you could become a DJ, that's what, three hours work a day, you play records, you talk, and then that would give you all this other free time to do other stuff, do stand-up or write a project or whatever. So I thought radio seemed like a good way. And it paid pretty and it paid, well? you know, and I thought, well, that seems like a good way of of getting him into the show business business. Right. And, uh, or show business, as we call it. And, um, and then I read this thing in this magazine about how um, a new radio station was launching in London, playing alternative music, and I just sent off my resume. Uh, and... It turned out that Ricky Gervais was there and got a job there already. And he called me up for an interview and we hit it off. And what was the interview like? I think he immediately he took me to the pub immediately, <laughs> sort of two in the afternoon. <laughs> I went all the way to London for it. And of course, again, I, I, I just assumed he was he was older than me, he was about 10 years older than me. He was a he was he had a job at a radio station. And to me, he was a perfect, you know, wow, this is a guy in the business. And, He's doing it. And of course, very quickly within the interview, he confessed I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, I've sweet talked my way into this job. Um, I need someone who's going to kind of basically cover my cover my back, you know. And you seem to have a bit of radio experience because I've done a lot of you know just internship and stuff as radio at radio stations. So he hired me, and uh, and then I moved to London. And and, and how long that. did that last? The, what happened was um, 
the radio station, there was a lot of build-up to the launch of this station. And I was there with Ricky and we were kind of planning stuff. We weren't on air. We were behind-the-scenes guys. Um, and then the day before the station was about to launch with a big rock and roll fanfare, Princess Diana died. Uh, nothing to do with us. Um, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't one of those merchant incidents? It wasn't, it, no, no, it wasn't the merchant bad luck. Merchant <laughs> bad luck, no. But consequently, as you can imagine, the whole country went into mourning and it, and it was not a sort of celebratory rock and roll atmosphere right. into which to launch a radio station. And so the day that station launched, um, we had to just play somber music and lots and lots oh. of songs that you couldn't play because they might be That's your first day? Yeah. I remember there was a Radiohead song called Airbag, which they wouldn't let us play because <laughs> she died in a car crash. And anyway, so for whatever reason, the kind of the station kind of it launched to a bit of a whimper. And meanwhile, I had secretly applied for a job at the BBC as a trainee, mm. and so I uh, I snuck off behind Ricky's back and did an interview. Actually, no, he knew about it. He gave me permission, and I basically said to him, "Look, I've been offered this job at the uh, BBC, and I turned it down initially because uh, I was having so much fun working with Ricky." And then I realised actually that seems like an error because the BBC. Going back to my parents saying, you know, make sure you get a, something to fall back on in right. case the, sh- the show business BBC, doesn't work out. how do you turn BBC, BBC like, or the you know, pub with Ricky? Exactly, come on. Yeah. So um, I jumped ship and I joined the BBC and left Ricky in the lurch. Um, but then secretly behind the BBC's back, I would go back every Sunday and do a radio show with Ricky. And I never used my name or got paid for it because... I was sort of cheating on the BBC. Really? Because they, you know? they would have fired you? In theory, they could so have you, done, you yeah. you couldn't be on... So you went back at, to work with Ricky. So he was, by that point, hosting a radio show. They'd realized how funny he was. And then I was his sidekick on there. Um, but I was sort of... I could never use my last name in case anyone heard and put two <laughs> what and two was your together. Name? I just was known as Steve, I think. Just Steve. Just Steve. Now, were you guys doing stuff, like, obviously on the side? Like, oh, my God, you really enjoyed each other? Right. I mean, you always wanted to hang out? You were always yes, making each yes, other laugh. Yes. You were always yes. coming up with ideas. This is what we should do. Did you feel like this is, we have a future together. There's something here. I want to work yes. with this guy. I know he's talented. Yes. I definitely, yes. There was definitely a chemistry and that was something that only magnified as we did the radio show. And I think we had a rapport very quickly that I was very excited by. We both were, you know, and I think that became obvious quickly that we kind of were thinking along the same lines and, you know, uh, and that's what you're always looking for in a, any kind of... And you were partner. going back because you were enjoying this much more than the BBC. Well, that was the thing, as I remember part of my role at the BBC, it was a, it was a trainee scheme. It was very, actually, as I subsequently discovered, actually very prestigious and difficult to, to get on. So I was very lucky, but because I didn't really realize that initially is why I turned it down. Then I subsequently realized, oh, this is actually something of a golden ticket because, you know, Willy Wonka style, I get to kind of see how the factory, the chocolate factory works, you know. And so it was really, it was a rate, it was really actually turned out to be a great asset. But part of my responsibilities would be because I was essentially cheap labor. They'd go and send me on some show in the Midlands that I didn't want to see. And I'd be living in some cold flat, you know, and, and, and miserable. I didn't know anybody and I'd be doing some job I didn't like. And I'd call Ricky and he'd be sort of boating on Regent's Park Lake at 2 PM in the afternoon, you know, and I just think, what have I done? You know, how have I turned this down? But subsequently, he was fired from the radio station, as was I, for the radio show. Why were you fired? It got taken over by other people, and I think they just thought, why are we employing these people? And then, of course, once the magic of the office happened... How did that kind of happen? I mean, you've told the story a million times, I'm sure. But, like... (laughs) I have. But, you know, it's... Google it. I I will Google it. No, no. What happened was, uh, while at the BBC, I was given a camera team for a day and told to make a little documentary as a... Right, right, right. As a training exercise sure and instead of doing a real little documentary i did a fake one with ricky and that was it and that sort of basically became the office so um we were off to the races really 
I mean, I mean, isn't that just a lucky thing that happened? If you weren't supposed to do that, if they didn't say, "Hey, this is what we want you to do that day," but you isn't think it you crazy would... how when you then you start to rewind everything? Because if I hadn't seen that thing in the ad, if you didn't it, go to Sunday show to do with Ricky, right. you just did it at the BBC, exactly. or if I turned the BBC down and we hadn't, I'd never joined it, and therefore I'd never got this opportunity. to If do you didn't say those film. lines in the play, if you didn't do the quart of milk, so then you just I mean, let's go back. Of course, you're nobody. You're not here right now. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. So everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. It's just random chance. Do you think it's just random chance? Well, that I, goes back to the atheism, doesn't it? I mean, random chance in the sense that um, that we're all just, you know, bits of dust floating in the in the cosmos. That instance of random chance in terms of as much in terms of whether any human has any agency. I was obviously trying to get into show business. So I was going out there trying to make it happen. The energy. I, I made some of my own luck, if sure. you like, by putting myself in situations where these things could occur. If I had just simply sat in my home in my parents' house until I was 40, I'd have been really lucky to have wound up where I am. Right. So I always think it's like an energy, too. It's like if, you know, I always say, you know, when I went to New York, I mean, call it silly. I said, you know, I want to meet Gary Oldman. I'm going to meet Gary Oldman. And first week at a restaurant, I went, I met met Gary Oldman. I was like, this this is the energy. I met Gary Oldman. And we sat there and talked. And it was great. I said, I'm going to meet him right when I get to New York. And somehow I met him. And then I would start thinking. Did you seek him out, though? I mean, had you heard he might be in this restaurant? No, I didn't seek him out. But uh, no, one of my friends called me from Carmine's restaurant in New York. Right. So again, you had made it known. Gary's here. Gary's at the restaurant. So I don't know. Maybe I didn't. Maybe that was just random. But I'm saying that because. Because you were putting out there that you that's wanted what I'm to saying. meet Oldman, you, someone made it happen for yeah. you. Yeah. And that's the same as me. I was saying to people, I want to do comedy. I want to do a sitcom. I want to be involved in radio and comedy. And, be, and, and therefore, you know, when the you opportunity right came, now? then they What would it. you be doing right now if you, di- if you just decided not to be an actor? You'd be, uh, what would you do? If I was not in show business yeah. at all? Uh, I think I'd like to have been a, um, like a university professor. Like a teach, you know, you know, like an academic writing kind of books that no one really read. Really, and just I liked all that. Yeah, I liked researching and making like notes. What books? Old... What books do you like that no one knows? Well, you know, obviously since I since I left university, I'm not reading kind of books about sort of you know Marxism as much as I was. Right, but or I Nietzsche. used to like that. You know, where you where you got assigned a project and you had to research in the library and and draw and make notes and and and. and develop an argument or a thesis or an See, idea. I couldn't do that. I, I was never that. into that. No, See, that's, that's, that. that's a gift. That's, uh, and Ricky probably couldn't do that either, right? Well, again, I'm not sure he has the patience. I that's mean, he the, was a smart man. And well, he I'm did, not, exactly. Yeah. I don't have the patience to do that. Right. Or the intellect, probably. Right, right. I think it's more patience. Like, I think if you just really applied yourself to anything that you really enjoy. A lot of it probably, is patience. Right. Yeah. But I couldn't be a doctor. You think you could be a doctor? I bet you could. No, because I don't think I understand science. Science I've always struggled with. I understand history and the arts and literature and language, but but science, math, I don't, I get confused with that. Stuff. Do you love the entertainment industry? Do you really oh, enjoy? I, what I, you I do? enjoy. Yeah. Oh, yes, I enjoy what I do enormously. Yes, but all of the bullshit that that people say about the entertainment industry is true. I mean, like, I, well, for instance, you know, when people talk about the the sort of cutthroat nature of you know Hollywood. I don't think anyone could deny that that's true. It's true, yeah. So all of the cliches are accurate. But I think all the joy of it is... That's the stuff that I think sort of slightly underrepresented is I think a lot of people assume that you do the things you do because you want to win awards or go on a red carpet. And maybe you do, Michael. Good luck to you. But for me, <laughs> I like the mechanics of it. You know, I like the mechanics of sitting in a room and writing a project. That's... And working with people and figuring out... And the execution. And, yeah, and that's... All, I like it. It's like building a jigsaw puzzle. You don't it's care funny. about awards at all. I haven't won an award since about 2004. 
So you do, it does bother you a little? No, I, it doesn't bother me, but I, I, it only bothers me in the sense that I realize what currency it has, which I never realized. To it's get the, you your next job or to right. get the bigger job. That's do you right. need, does it ever occur to you that maybe you've done it? Like, like if you look back, you go, wow, I created a tremendously successful franchise, a huge show that won a lot of awards that made me a lot of money that I could probably retire. Uh, another show after that. Uh, I'm uh, a movie star. I'm doing big movies now. I'm working with big directors. I'm now being seen in a different light. I mean, it's a great career. But like, when does it become, I've done enough. Unless it's just really fun. And I have a hard time understanding how people, maybe not you, but some people, they are always working. Yes. And they can't stop working. And if they had the choice, if they had enough money to stop working, if you ask anybody in middle America, Hey, you work at Alcoa, where I grew up in Indiana, at this plant, 50 hours a week. And even if they like their job, somebody said, hey, you don't have to work anymore if you don't want to, then no one's going to work. Right. Obviously, this is different. We're very lucky right. to do what we do right. and making movies, but there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of things that come along with it. Do you ever feel like I'm 43 right now? I'd like to be able to say that maybe when I'm 60, I just don't do anything. Or will you be always doing I think something? I, I, I do always work. The things that I try to steer towards are the thing, are the parts of this job that I enjoy the most. Like I say, I, you know, working with other writers or creative people and sitting in a room and trying to crack a story or or figure out jokes or whatever it might be, I find enormously enjoyable. It's it's if it, you, I would do this as a hobby. I was drawing comic books as a kid. I liked it. I liked just doing that the nuts and bolts of it i like editing i would sit there and edit a project i love that it's like it's again it's like a puzzle to be solved and so to me why would i stop because i would only do this for free in my spare time anyway Ooh, that's you know really well spoken my so friend. that's how i feel about it now the thing i the thing the stuff that i don't enjoy so much is as an actor being you know um traveling away from home and being kind of having to live in a hotel and that stuff all of which seemed very exciting when i was a um when i was young and now as in my 40s starts to feel tough and wearying and a bit lonely and so yeah so certainly there's and also i think there's an there's an attempt as i get into my 40s to try and ease off a bit and make sure you spend time with friends and family and loved ones and you know and girlfriends and so you look out for that you say hey you know what i'm working four months straight I'm trying gonna to take, carve I'm out that take a space. couple of weeks off. Here. Yes, I'm gonna to take a sure. month. You ever take a month off? Pro- yes, but probably it just means I kind of take my foot off the gas. I'm probably still. Can you do that? Around. You can do that. Yeah, yeah. Don't you feel like people are just like you always have to be a part of something? Like you're getting a text even when you're on vacation. Yeah. Hey, what about this? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? With the modern technology, you you can never escape you never it. escape it. Yeah, In fact, the only thing that was pleasing as I was driving up to your house here, I noticed I lost the signal on my phone. You like that? And I thought, oh, great. No one can get me. And it's not my fault. So I like being on a plane, on a, on a transatlantic flight. You, you know? don't, oh, yeah, transatlantic. Yeah. But, you know, do you, you stay, when you go cross country to New York, do you stay, you get the Wi Fi on? Yeah. Do you get on oh, your yeah. phone so you can just kind of get a little bored? I, li- I like a long drive, though. I like, you know, I like, because you can't check your phone. Uh, so you, you get to listen to, you know, podcasts like your own or whatever. Like Are you that. listening to my podcast? Of course not. But I um, but I listen to podcasts <laughs> like yours. Oh, you will now. You will now. I get deep. I'm sure. I don't get that deep. We know the same person. Yeah. You. Uh, I think you live with her. She's. Um, she's. Yes. She's living with me. Yes. We're boyfriend girlfriend. You mean Mercedes Monroe? Yeah. I let you say that. Yeah. Yeah. We did a show together. Did she say? She told me about we, that. we did in yeah. Pastor. Did she say she enjoyed working with me? She did. She chooses not to talk about you. 
She did. <laughs> she just says, I don't want to talk about him. No, she does. She did. She, she did <laughs> yes, she did enjoy working with you. Yes. Yeah. I was very happy to hear, you know, because she is one of my favorite people in the world. Amazing person. She's a, the heart of gold. I've never seen anyone, co- like when we work together, I've never seen someone just come to set and just have so much good energy yeah. and make everyone feel good. That's, yeah. and beautiful, if I may say. Thank you. So when she said, yeah, you know, I'm, this was a while ago, she started dating you. And I was like, oh my God, he's a great guy. I don't know if he likes me. I tried to make him laugh, but uh, we did some roller coasters together, but he was, I liked him. I'd like to confirm that I do like him. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. That's good. Yeah. You hear that, Rob? Mm-hmm. He likes me. Was that the sole reason that you yeah. brought me here today? Just we're, to confirm or deny? Well, I'm we're, done. Conversation. we're done now. Yeah, we're done. What? Uh, that was it. We're done. We're done. Thank yeah. you. Like me, and this podcast is <laughs> yeah. over. No, uh, that was good, and I'm glad you guys are together. I mean, are you one of those people that just you know you want to be old and gray with someone? You like yeah, to stay course. with someone. You've always been a monogamous sort of person. Yes. You ever have you always been in relationships? Yeah, pretty much. You never were the guy that went out to clubs. I don't see you as a I clubber. did. I did, but I never was. I never felt at home there in that environment. I never felt like that suited me. I was never adept. In those environments. Did you ever play the game? Did you ever go to the clubs and pick up a woman and hang out with her? Was Hello Ladies autobiographical at all? I think that was probably closer to my experience. Was it dating? Than, yeah, the sort of player in the club. I bet you were cool. I bet they liked you. But I, the problem I find with, with, I always found with nightclubs and things was if I have any strength, it is um, talking. And I just, you never really talk in a club. So loud. I mean, it was always so sort of. And I used to look across a club and I'd see someone talking to someone else and they seemed to be having a very intense conversation. I thought, wow, what are they talking about? <laughs> and then you realize actually that all oh, they're really, they're just, so where, where do you work? Um, I work at yeah. La Cienega. What? Where? I'm at La Cienega. What? Doing what? Oh, I just, I work at a bar part time. Yeah? What bar? Oh, excuse me for saying, hey, yeah. John. Yeah. What bar? How far? It's what right bar? down the street. What bar? I have my cars outside. <laughs> and it is, I mean, that's what it's like. You don't... So basically all that's happening is that good looking people are meeting other good looking people because they don't need language because you see a good looking person. You're like, I'm, yeah, we're good looking people. Let's, let's go. Whereas someone like me who's a more acquired taste visually, right. you know, I need to convince you that I uh, have some kind of personality and I need silence. I need a silent environment, which is why I loved libraries. <laughs> when I was, no wonder I was studying so much. I was in the library. Hey, do you come to the, uh, do you come to, uh, to the uh, biology section much? Uh, microfiche? Yeah, yeah, you, I'll meet you at the microfiche. Did you ever meet someone at the library and go no, out? No. Never. No. How dare they even consider uh, interrupting your reading time? The idea Certainly through my teen years, the idea of going up to someone, to a stranger, and trying to strike up a conversation with the objective of dating them was madness to me. I just thought that seems crazy. Yes. Without some kind of introduction. I guess it like like Jane Austen. Uh, Have you met Mr. Merchant? (laughs) You know, I need some kind of, you know, some kind of introduction. Was there an insecurity in terms of does this person like me? Have you ever dated yes. like where do they a do they like me because I'm successful or b do they I mean are they really attracted to me? Are they going to leave me? Did you ever have any abandonment issues? Did you ever have any like those fears or were you always just really confident? No, I was, that was what I'm saying. I was never no. I I think I built confidence as I went on and as I had success because I think I didn't have lots of sort of self. Uh, I wasn't an agonized person, but I think I probably lacked a certain self worth. At least, at least in terms of feeling desirable, 
You know what I mean? Sure. And I think um, success, career success bleeds into that. You feel like uh, a validity. You feel yeah. a certain. So I think it helps self worth. And then I think then that 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 confidence that you gain from that, like you were saying about energy, you do then exude that back into the world. And I think, you know, I think you when you when you're someone who grows up and you watch teen movies or you read that teen books and so much of it is about the kind of insular wallflower right who's just when will they discover the real me and then you realize well unless you present the real you to someone how are they supposed to figure out what the girl's just supposed to guess that because you're creepily staring at her from the other side of the room that you're really a poet i mean you know what i mean you're just like a creep and you realize at some point that oh you actually need to sell yourself in some way right, right. and so i think once that dawned on me that Oh, actually, you need to present a version of yourself that's... I'm going to be my charming self. I'm right. going to be funny. I'm going to say right. something witty. Right. They're going to laugh. Then they're going to start liking me. And then they're right. going to really yeah. see how romantic I can be. There you are. Exactly. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever get uh, any deal with any anxiety or anything like that? Not anxiety in the sort of medical sense. No. I mean, anxious because I've got to do a TV interview or something. Or oh, you get anxious? About... Is that what makes you anxious a little when you do interviews? Uh, not so much podcasts, right? Uh, but anything where there's a live audience, I always get a little more jumpy, right? Yeah. Do you think uh, you know stand up? You've been doing stand up a long time. Mm. Do you really enjoy it? Does it still no. scare you? You don't like it? I don't. It doesn't scare me, but I I don't enjoy it. What I've this is so bizarre. Again, again, you're talking about the kind of feeding off the thrill of the crowd or the attention or the that first experience of being in that play, but that whatever that buzz was, oh, people are laughing, isn't that great, has given way to, like I said before, I like the nuts and bolts of it. With stand-up, I'm fascinated by constructing the act and making it work and making the bits work. The, you know what I mean? The mechanics of it I, I find fascinating, but incredibly time-consuming and hard work and harder than almost anything because it is. you have to go out in front of the audience and you're it's you know you have to go out in the evenings you have to sit there anxiously waiting that's what i felt you know, with, nerve, I felt. with butterflies in your yeah. stomach and it's just it's hard it I, is hard i saw you do stand up in chicago a couple of years oh, you ago did? and great both me and my wife your favorite stand-up oh, great. comedian yeah she, she that, thank you I, I that was great that was yeah. i really enjoyed that but that was by the point at which i'd sort of built the act you know it's see that's the thing isn't it it's like in the beginning how do i get them right. likable fun nail them and then we go on to the storytelling, right? Like build right. it here, and then go into like it's it, it is. It's, there's a craft. There's an art. Huge, huge, huge. art. And I've really and I, and I, went, I did stand up for the first time last year. And I went up like fifty times at all the big places with all these yeah. nuts, Rogan and uh, Apatow and all these. And I just felt like these guys have been doing it forever, right? And I just started, and right. it was terrifying. Yeah. And they were doing it, and they just knew exactly what they were doing. Well, or they gave the illusion they did. Maybe I think so much of stand up, which you again you realize is it's all about. You have to be confident enough, perhaps like in dating, the audience feels reassured. If you if you show nerves, they get nervous. Yeah. You know, it's it's like there's so many counterintuitive things in stand-up. For instance, you know, when you get nervous, you tend to speak faster or gabble or you want to race to the next punchline because you want to get a laugh. But the skill is to slow down. You know, if you're nervous, if it's not quite working, you don't panic. You go, you slow down, you take a sip of water, you're in control. That's you're the so master. true. You know? I remember I'd have a drink on the stool. Mm. And I would, I you know, I remember just one time, I sort of forgot what I was doing. Mm. Forget, just lost my place. Yeah, packed house at the comedy store. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling that like that heat on my face, that sure. flush, yeah. and flu blushing. Yep, you know, 
And I'm just like, okay, what do you do? And it feels like it's eternity, right? That's right. And everybody's looking at you and they're laughing. And you think those laughs are going to start to go down because they're like, is something wrong? Right. But it's not that much time. And then you just kind of go over to the stool. Yep. And you grab your drink and you take the mic and you just put it and you let them hear the yep. little ice cubes f- flow around, hit the sides of the plastic cup. And then sure. you take the drink of the – and then you – and then they're kind of laughing. They're going, oh, what's he up to? He's confident. He's just taking Absolutely. a moment. And I just had forgotten. But I'm like, oh, my God. There's... So there's that. There's definitely yeah. so that. There's a lot of just sheer technique that you have to learn, isn't there? Yeah. And besides on whether stage or not you're a funny person. Yeah. Right, right. I will talk about this. I have a, a, just this feeling that people are going to see you in a completely different light. And they already are in terms of your acting. Hmm. Because I think... You've like developed into a really good actor. Appreciate that. Thank you. No, I, I like. I'm like going. Holy shit! Like, I think your depth, what they don't know yet, I could see it. I, I just have this feeling. I've been acting my whole life, and I look at you, and I could see you playing a role that just. I would love that. I appreciate that. That means I, I think you could play really dark, and yes. it's so funny because like, oh, he's funny. He's this is Steve. This is uh, the, the laugh laughing. But now you're getting a lot of roles. Like people are looking at you differently, right? right? Mm. And you enjoy that. Yeah, I just did this bit in this movie, The Girl in the Spider's Web. Right. Where, I just saw the trailer uh, for that. More, more of a dramatic, another dramatic role after the um, this movie I did, Logan. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, and I appreciate that. And I think um, it's tricky, isn't it? Because, you know, you'll speak to any agent or professional and they'll always say, yeah, every comedian wants to do drama and every drama person wants to do right. comedy. And so I understand it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it is just, as you said, different muscle to exercise. It's a different challenge. The one thing I have always tried to do is is at least to keep trying to do something a bit different, you know, and yeah. not just recycle. That's how we things. started today, right? Right. You know, doing things different, you get bored doing the same thing, right? And so uh, the drama stuff, is, and it's a real challenge. It's really, it's hard. It's tough. But I think you know, with you, I see someone who knows themselves pretty well, right? Like you have, like you know, innately, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. I know my limitations. You know your limitations, which I think helps. You know, tell me about Jojo Rabbit. This is a movie I just did a part in, um, directed by Taika Waititi, yeah. who's a terrific Fantastic. writer, director, and performer. And he's uh, obviously best known probably for that Thor Ragnarok movie, which he wrote and directed. Or uh, What We Do in the Shadows. That's right. Terrific. I, yeah, great. I tested and didn't get the TV uh, version. That just don't. Come on. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I thought I did well. But he's done a, a movie which is an adaptation of a book in which... Um, it's a very dark satirical comedy about um, a little boy during the 1940s who is joins the Hitler Youth, and his imaginary best friend is Hitler, uh, played by Taika. And uh, as I say, it's a very sort of black comedy. Um, that sounds brilliant. It's 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 very it's great, and it's very uh, ambitious. The tone is ambitious. When does that come out? I'm not sure when that comes out, but I just uh, I played a Gestapo officer, and. Um, that was great. And he's amazing. And I was opposite, acting opposite Sam Rockwell, who I adore. Genius. Just a genius. And again, intimidated by just his brilliance. Um, but lovely man. And again, you know, when you meet someone like that and you work with them and they're a nice person and they're encouraging and supportive, you, 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 just, you just raise your game. Do you ever feel like, you know, when you're – I mean, you talk about a role. You, you discuss it with the director. But then when you go to do it and they say action, in any of these movies or anything, do you ever feel like, uh, I didn't get it in the first one. I didn't get it in the second one. Oh, I'm yeah. figuring it out right now. I don't know what the director wants. I'm trying to understand it. I'm, oh shit, am I going to be able to do this? Yes. Oh, we'll wait. Definitely. But certainly in the in the drama stuff, I feel that. Yeah, I feel a lot more at sea than I do in comedy. And what's usually the vibe, the the feeling, the the direction that you, you know, is it usually they want you to go further? 
They want you to go deeper. Always deeper. But I think the thing I've realized is, um, and I, I've always, again, because I think I am quite secure in myself, I'm, I always am happy to say to a director right off the bat, it's not an ego challenge. It's not me playing an ego game with them. You know, it's me. I, I'm, I'll tell them straight away, whatever you need from me, you know, t- if you, need, you want to give me a line reading, give me a line reading. You, you I know, love tell, that. I love a Because line then I feel reassured because I think when you go, when you go amiss in, in any aspect of your life is when you don't admit your own weakness. Yeah. You know, the, the thing. Be the, vulnerable. But the thing, the, you know, the thing I dislike most about Trump of all the many things, and I'm sorry to get political. You yeah. may be a big Trump fan. No. The reason I dislike him, and it's not even on, on, often to do with his politics, politics, it's because I dislike there's a man who has never said he's made a mistake. He has never publicly acknowledged that he's ever in error. In business, in in politics, in his private life, he's just always, it's always someone else's fault or it didn't happen. And I just think that I, the idea of someone who can't take any ownership right. over and how the humbling, fact. how humbling. But I've, who I've, is so perfect that they can't? But, that but they no, what I'm saying mistake? is how humbling is it, like as I've gotten older, that my flaws I embrace. Right. And I say, I'm sorry. Right. I, I didn't do this right. Or I apologize for saying this to you. Or I did this. And I, it feels so much better as a human being for me yeah. to just say, I'm trying to be the best person I can be. But I'm trying people, to make the The people that can't admit weakness... They think they can't admit weakness because it's weak. Because it's weak. But it's not. It's strong. It's strong it to admit strong. weakness. And it's so bizarre to me that they people like Trump in their 70s or whatever haven't figured that out or are so neurotic and insecure they can't. Well, you've done a shitload of work. You continue to work. continue to amaze me. Uh, lip sync battle, is that over? No, that continues to roll on as a, as a show. Yeah. Well, I'm one of the best lip syncers there are. You've not done it yet? No one's invited me. Well, I'm not a big star. No one, yeah. no one invites me to this fucking thing. I'd kill it. You'd be like, ah, he was right. One of the great lip syncers. Oh my god! I'll make a call. I'm naked in front of my uh, in my bathroom every day. So could I be naked on the? Ah, uh, it's got a family audience. You yeah, know, I won't be naked. Sure, I think it's probably best. I'll wear a suit. <laughs> uh, here's some questions, real quick, for you. People always ask questions on the uh, Instagram and the. What is Stephen's favorite Carl Pilkington memory? At just the Biebs, Liam Beebe. Well, I think with Carl, it was, for those that don't know, we did this radio show, as I mentioned, Ricky and I. And, you know, uh, if you've been listening since the beginning of the podcast, you'll recall when we last left our heroes, they'd been fired from that radio station. Well, after the success of our (laughs) TV stuff, they invited us back and we returned as the Conquering Heroes and we hosted a radio show. And that was where we were given a man to produce and press the buttons. And that guy was Carl Pilkington. And Carl, we thought, was just a guy, you know, just a tech guy and a producer guy. And we started asking him questions on air. And lo and behold, it was a goldmine of brilliance. And I think my so my fondest memory is the first moment we were talking about something on the air. And uh, Carl was telling a story and he said, um, blah, blah, blah. And um, uh, the next door neighbors who who kept a horse in their house. Anyway, they'd gone away for the weekend. And we were like, well, what? They kept a they horse, kept a in, horse the in the house? And he's like, yeah. Anyway, and he didn't realize that was the interesting part of the story. He just thought that was a bit of... Like, just, yeah, that's just not a, a big deal. Like, yeah, that's not a big yeah. deal. And then we pursued whatever avenue that was. And we found out about this crazy family with a horse in the house. And I think that was when we're like, oh, this, this guy's just going to... It's just incredible. Do you keep in touch? You talk to him a lot? I saw him. He was here in LA. I saw him just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, you just think yeah. he's, does it make you smile right when you see him? He's just a sweet man. He's just a great man. A really great guy. Terrific. And I love him. Do you, I guess in your age, right? You're not that you're old, but you, you like to just hang out. You like to work and hang out with people that you just adore or like, who yeah. just enjoy. Oh, yeah. You're too, we're too old for this shit. Right. We got to enjoy people. People who either help us, 
you know, work-wise and, right. and uh, you know, fulfill our dreams or people that are just uh, we're just amused by people. them or good yeah. people, good heart. Absolutely. Uh, ne- at Neostar84, my question for Stephen would be if he could choose another moment in history to reenact on Drunk History, what oh, would it yeah. be? Because you played Lincoln twice. I've done Lincoln twice. Right. Yeah. You're the only person. To have, yeah, right. Uh, well, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, um, I mean, yeah, where in history? What in history? I think for me as well, it's sort of one of the reasons I don't like um, – costume parties or as we call it in england fancy dress is i like if i'm going to do a costume i like it to be exact so if i'm going to play a character from a movie i want to look like the character in the movie and problem is when you're six foot seven you know with beard and glasses there aren't if you think about it there aren't that many people that you can pretend to be right and so similarly with history like i was frustrated when i did lincoln in one of them i had a the beard wasn't quite right you know, I had the, I think, not, I had the mustache on the top lip and I felt like I wasn't willing to shave it off because I was being a diva, but at the same time, it wasn't appropriate. And so I got frustrated. Whenever I see a clip of that, I'm like, that's not, the beard's not right. And so I'm <laughs> was thinking... Was that your last time on? That was my last time on. And then I'm thinking, well, hang on, who in history could I play that, you know what I mean, I'm a good match for, that I accurately could... I be. think you could, well, you're thin like me, right. but... Uh... I look at your facial hair. Maybe a, even you could do a Teddy Roosevelt. That would be yes. Well, yes, that that makes more sense. See, I can yes. see you because he was a big guy, He's a right? Big guy. Or maybe um, Colonel Saunders. <laughs> Is he a historical figure? But everybody's been doing him, right? <laughs> oh, that's it's true. Just yeah, over, yeah, a little yeah. too much. But uh, Wild Bill Hickok. Sure, he doesn't have, he doesn't have glasses. Though, he doesn't probably. have glasses. Well, you don't yeah. have to have glasses. But do you, <laughs> well, then I can't you, see. You need glasses. We can't see yeah, shit. Exactly. Now, uh, can you see uh, when you take them off? Can you see anything? Is it blur? It's a blur. It's all a blur. It's a blur. Yeah. Why don't you get contacts? I just feel like at this point, um, A, cataracts. glasses are my shtick, right, and B, it, it seems very fiddly. You know, just putting contact lenses in my What eyes about that? What's it called? Fiddly. LASIK? That's what I meant. I said I'm just not, I'm nervous around lasers. I grew up watching James Bond movies in which lasers <laughs> were very dangerous. They could cut through steel. A Goldfinger <laughs> was going to kill Bond with the, with a laser. Why would I put that near my eyes? At Moo.Loves, last question. Where's your favorite hangout in Bristol and what's so good about it? My favorite hangout in Bristol. That's my hometown. Um... Jeez, I don't really, yeah. I mean, I, when I visit there, I normally hang out with my relatives. So I guess um, my my parents' conservatory, the sort of glass room on the back of their house, is that my favorite hangout in Bristol? Uh, it could be. Yeah. Or the library. How do you say <laughs> the library? How do you, you say library? library? How do you say library in English? Libra- li- li- library. Is it library? Yeah. I thought it was, you say it funny. L- uh, li- library? Li- li- how would you library. say librarian? Librarian. It's the same thing. I thought it was I a li- so. librarian. Librarian? No, it's not librarian. <laughs> it's just librarian. Fuck's sake. All right. This has been a real treat, man. I uh, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. Of course. You're always, as I said before, you're always welcome inside. Seldom do you find someone who has their shit together. Yep. You know, you love yourself? I uh, I don't say I love myself, but I think, you know, we get on. Yeah. <laughs> we get on okay. Sometimes you're like, hey, you're a good dude. Yeah. I like what you do. I do have a thing which, and this is again, this sounds like a real. This sounds like something would uh, someone would say who has very low self esteem. If if I disappear off the place planet, everyone will be fine. They'll be fine. They no one needs me. I would be very upset. I appreciate that, but you'd be fine. You, you'd get on fine without me. You'd, you know, you'd be like, oh, that guy's gone. Okay, and you get on with your life. And I feel that most. most I think. Well, I, I think just, anybody thinks that. Exactly. Certainly, Rob. But I don't know. I think they're probably. Right? <laughs> yeah, but no one would miss Rob. But my point is, yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> I'm no, joking. I would. I think there's some people who do think they are, they're everything, right? Aren't there some people that believe they're the shit? They really love themselves. Don't you think so? Yes. I think there's a lot of people that really love themselves. I, You know, I think that you were always striving for that, right? We were always like, hey, I want to 
be a good human being. I eventually I want to say, hey, you know, I'm a good, I'm a good person. I, I try to be a good person every day. Right. I mean, that's important. Do the right thing. Say the right thing. Right. Try to help your fellow man. I mean, that's right. what you do, right? That's what we do. Try not to be an asshole. Yeah, yeah. I think ending it on that's pretty good. Try not to be an asshole. If there was a message for the world, it is try not to be an asshole. Much love. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thank you. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.